in light of that, we're going to take a pause in our book of Nehemiah, right? Uh, Tate filled in last week, and we've been going through that book. We're going to take a pause just because it's, it is this week of Thanksgiving, and man, there's not much more Christian uh, than, a, than a holiday, uh, literally all about Thanksgiving. You know, I really wonder, what do non-believers do during Thanksgiving? I mean, they eat, but, but who are they grateful to? Who do they, th- when they, when they get together and they're, they're coming together, we're so grateful. Are they thinking mother earth? Or are they so grateful for the universe that, that they brought us together in this place for us to eat? Have you ever thought about that? You see, probably we, right, we're raised within, uh, within the Christian circle. Maybe some of you are not, uh, but I think for us as church goers, um, church attenders, that it can be so normal, but think about it. What does, someone who does not believe in God, why would they have any reason to celebrate Thanksgiving? You see, Thanksgiving in origin is a very Christian holiday. Uh, We are going to be looking at a passage today in Luke chapter 17. If you have your Bibles, you can certainly turn there. And we're going to read a story about a certain man that expressed his gratitude toward Jesus specifically. Now, if you think about it, true thankfulness always makes it way, makes its way back to the Lord. All right, so let's say you thank somebody for doing something for you. Yeah, that's a good thing, right? You to be grateful not just to God, but to people. But even that person, if you begin to trace back well, that person did something for you. Well, how did they do it? Well, God is the one who gave them the ability to do it, gave them breath in their lungs, gave them the resources to be able to do it. What they used was even God's creation. And when you kind of boil it all down, any thankfulness we have towards anything or anyone always makes its way back to the Lord. And it doesn't make sense, logical sense, right? Some people think Christianity is not reasonable, but it's actually very logical. If you think through it, it makes sense, right? Even, even non-believers, they talk about being thankful. Why? why? Why should you be thankful? You see, being thankful is rooted within having someone to be thankful to. Does that make sense? And, and some people, right, like I mentioned, might think a higher force or think Mother Earth or the, or the universe. But you and I, as Christians, we know from what the Bible tells us that God is the very source of everything good. That's what the Bible tells us. And so anything good, and I mean anything, to the smallest things of, of the fact that you have a pen in your hand to write— If you were to trace, where did this pen come from? How did it end up in my hand? You would trace its source back to the fact that God is good. Um, And that is really the premise for what we're looking at today. And we're going to be reading this story. So you guys have your Bibles open? Luke chapter 17? All right, you guys ready to read it? Remember, this is the word of God. All right, this is not something I crafted up. This is not a cute story. It's not a fable. Uh, This is a real story that really happened. And God, I believe this day would like to use this story to speak into your life personally. So as the Bible says, if you have ears to hear, let him hear. Let's look at verse 11. 
The Bible says this, Now it happened as he, being Jesus, went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And so when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was, as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, were there not 10 cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Let's pray. Gracious God, Father in heaven, you are holy. You are pure and righteous and just. You are loving and good. And Lord, as we just take a moment out of the busyness of the day, Lord, we're here to, to meet with you. We desire you to speak to us and to mold us and shape us. And we confess our great need this very hour. And so, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us in a powerful way through your word, that, Lord, the way that we came in this morning, that when we leave, we'd be different. Lord, we want to encounter you. We don't even just want to learn about you. We want to be in your presence and receive everything that you have. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So uh, an awesome story uh, just placed right here in the middle of Luke chapter 17. Now, verse 11, if you look in your own Bible that hopefully you have on your lap, if not, then you can uh, borrow your neighbors. You will see that Jesus and the disciples were on a trip from Galilee down to the city of Jerusalem. And this exchange, this scenario and situation happened on their way. They're not yet in Jerusalem and they passed through a region called Samaria. Now, this is significant because Jews in their day would do everything possible to not go through Samaria. Have you guys ever been driving anywhere and you take the longer route because your parents don't want to go through a sketchy part of the neighborhood? All right. No? Oh, man, there's, there's that. If you've ever been to certain parts of LA, there are certain streets you do not want to drive down. Uh, and, and for this, this was kind of that, that taboo. This was like, don't go down there. Uh, th those people, they looked at Samaritans as people who did not have right to the land of Israel, though they lived in the land. And so they were, were looked at as foreigners and unclean. And so Jews did whatever they could to go around it. Yet what you see from the ministry and life of Jesus is that the places that people didn't want to go, Jesus went. He actually intentionally went through Samaria because he had divine encounters. Do you remember the woman at the well? That took place in Samaria. Jesus intentionally went through that part of Israel. And we see this happen yet again. Because he knew it wasn't just a, a point A to point B, but there was something and someone 
and a group of people that he had a divine appointment with. And so we see that that's the context. And firstly, in this passage, we see the need for compassion. And we see the need come up in verse 12 and 13. The need is clearly laid out. There is this group of men that approach Jesus and the disciples. Jesus uh, had been traveling for a period of time at this point, and no doubt camping out when they need to, ministering to needs along the way, but they, they had a point to go to Jerusalem. And they enter a certain village in the region of Samaria, and we see that there are these men who approach them, but not close. Look in your Bible there. It says that these men, these 10 men, stood afar off. That they stood afar off. They made sure that there was a decent amount of distance. And we see that these men come together and they, they call out to Jesus. And uh, these men were to traditionally yell the word unclean if they were to pass by anyone uh, else other than themselves. And the reason being was that these men were not just any men, they were specifically lepers. You might want to note that down. We see that in these two verses, that these 10 men that were together that approached Jesus were lepers. And no, this does not mean that they were like half men, half leopards, all right? Uh, leprosy is a skin disease. And leprosy is something that we still have uh, in different forms today. Uh, we don't know exactly what's being referred to here, but we have some educated guesses amongst Jewish history and ancient history. There were several skin diseases classified as leprosy, including even our modern day, what we refer to as something called Hansen's disease. Now, what was such a big deal? Why did they need to stand so far away? Why would they need to yell things like unclean and to, to really keep distance? Well, you can note down the basis of a disease like leprosy damages the central nerves of a human body. Do you know what your nerves do? So one thing that your nerves do, and, and one of the main reasons, is that they will indicate when something is going wrong, right? You break your leg, your nerves are going nuts in your leg, and what are they doing? They are alerting your brain, we got a problem. They're alerting your brain, we have pain. You see, pain is actually a gift from God. Pain is something that God has created our bodies to do, to experience, so that we know something is wrong. And for someone with leprosy, their pain and their nervous system begins to shut down. Now, at first, that sounds kind of cool. Feel no pain? That'd be awesome. Uh, but for them, over time, infection would begin to set in. Things like tissue, uh, tissue in their body would begin to degenerate. Some people would begin, their, their limbs would begin to deform. Uh, for, for, some of, for some people, that fingers would actually begin to just simply fall off. Limbs would begin to fall off. This was something that was a, a big deal and, and would usually eventually cost someone their life. Now, in ancient times... This disease was regarded as something incurable and highly contagious. Now, for what we look at now uh, with our modern day medicine, uh, we know it's not 
uh, uh, potentially what, what, what they're referring to is not maybe as contagious as they thought. Uh, there is some, some curable elements. Uh, but back then, this was looked at as something uh, incurable and something looked at highly contagious. And this is why the men stood afar off. You see, within God's law, uh, he put in there so that the whole tribe of Israel didn't just all get leprosy and die, that when people had this disease, they were to separate from one another. And this is why you see these men standing afar off. Now, like oftentimes in the Bible, we see the Israelites take God's law too far. And in this issue of leprosy, by the time Jesus's day had come, this was true. It'd be one thing for the physical, like the physical sounds pretty painful, right? I mean, imagine just one day waking up and you're like, where's my pinky? It'd be terrible, right? Uh, Among other things, the physical pain, I guess you're not experiencing pain. It's just, I I don't know what it's like. Nonetheless, worse than the physical is the, the, the relational, the social. You see, these people would be be put in what would be, be referred to as leper colonies. They were to be isolated and outcast. They, if people saw them, that they were to run away in the other direction. They were commanded to yell the words unclean if they got close to anyone. It was one thing to have the physical issues. It's another thing to have the social issues. And so these lepers come to Jesus. It, it seems that they hear the rumors that there was a man who could heal, a man who could touch lepers and not himself get leprosy, but rather they get healed, a man who could raise the dead, a man who could uh, uh, have the blind see again and the deaf hear again. And it seems like they heard the rumors because they come to Jesus and though not knowing him, they knew him. And notice what they say there in verse 13. They yell to him, master, and they ask for mercy. There in verse 13, they say, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. This was one unified voice. They called out to Jesus and notice, note down what they called him. They called him master. It's the idea that, that he was above them, their superior, their commander, and yet they, they had not known him. It's the idea of a person of high status. They knew his position and they knew his power. They knew he was able. That's something that they were not able to do. He was able to do. But not only did they know his position, but they knew his heart. They they call out for mercy. They say, they they don't even say specifically healing. They They just call for mercy. Now, obviously that's what they were asking for. But they understood his heart, not only that he was able, but that he was willing. And I find that interesting. They knew Jesus was not only able, but also that Jesus was willing. And so we see in these first two verses that need for compassion. Does it seem like these 10 men had a need? Yeah. And the, and the need that they had, they needed someone to be compassionate. But not just anyone. They needed someone with the ability and the power to make them whole again. And we see that they came to the right man. So not only do we see that need for compassion, but as we move into verse 14, we see Jesus's response to them. And we see a command of blessing that Jesus gives them a simple yet powerful command. And that command was not designed for anything else other than to bring that blessing, to bring that healing 
to their life so that they would be able to receive that mercy. So look, look then at verse 14. All right, you guys good? Tracking? Look at verse 14. So, so when he saw them, so Jesus notices them, hears them. It says that he said to them, go, show yourselves to the priests. And so it was, as they went, they were cleansed. Jesus never had a pattern with how he healed people. There's times that he would touch them. There were times that he told them, go down to the river, get mud, put it in your eyes, and then rinse, and, and you'll be able to see. He had no pattern. This time, he doesn't, he doesn't even get close to them. He says, go. And he says specifically, go and show yourselves to the priests. Now, of all the people that they could go to, why would Jesus tell them to go to the priests? Why not, hey, go to a doctor. And when you get there, you'll be, you'll be cleansed and the doctor will be able to give you a thumbs up. Yeah, you're good to go. Why the priests? Well, we know that from biblical history, if you read the book of Leviticus, that the priests had the job for the nation of Israel of pronouncing someone uh, both physically and spiritually clean or unclean. Meaning if someone touched a dead animal, that, that spiritually that person would be uh, unclean for a period of time. And they would have to go through a series of washings and uh, uh, spiritual things that would then cleanse them. Some people uh, were, were uh, it's ceremonially unclean, meaning that, that they weren't able to do things in the temple until some time had passed. And one of the things that the priests were to do, if someone had some type of disease, uh, they actually had the job of kind of inspecting the person and then pronouncing them, this person is unclean. They need to remove themselves uh, from other people so that they don't get infected as well. Now, as I mentioned, the Israelites often took this too far. Now, what's interesting, and I want you to write down Leviticus 13 and 14. All right, you can look later on. It's, it's rather interesting. Leviticus 13 and 14. And this is cool. This is one of those Bible things that's just like, oh, this is awesome. Now, remember how I told you that leprosy was con considered an incurable disease? You guys remember that? Yes? So what's interesting, if you read this portion in the book of Leviticus, God puts in there a procedure, a, a protocol that if someone becomes cleansed and healed of leprosy, this is what they are to do to then get uh, ritually or uh, uh, spiritually clean as well. Yet, why would God put in his word a procedure to become clean and spiritually clean when it's an incurable disease? For 1,500 years, from the time Moses uh, recorded the law all the way to the time of Jesus, there had not been one Jew, one Israelite to be cleansed from leprosy. And so, the priests would have known this portion in, in Leviticus 13 and 14, but would have never applied it. There would have been never a situation where they would have said, oh, this person had leprosy and now they don't. But it would have been in their minds. They would have known the protocol. And so why, why did God do this? Well, now Jesus is here. 
And leper after leper, he is touching, he's cleansing, he's telling them to go and show themselves. And so this should have been an indication to the priests that when people who were lepers, who were not previously lepers, are coming and they're cleansed, they should have thought to themselves, this is none other than the Messiah, that the Messiah is here. And they should have asked questions of who healed you? Where did this come from? Yet we know that many of the priests were, were stubborn to this, but it, it would have been a testimony to them. And so he tells them, go, show yourselves to the priests. Now, what I want you to notice is three little words there in verse 14. You guys have your Bibles open? Look at verse 14. It says, so it was, as they went. If you have your Bibles and you want to underline as they went, If you don't have your own Bible, then you want to put in your note-taking as they went. Those are the key words. It wasn't when Jesus gave the command, but it was when they obeyed the command that the blessing followed, that that the healing followed. It says, as they went, they were cleansed. They sought Jesus, they heard from Jesus, and then they obeyed Jesus and they received the blessing. If you look at the teaching of Jesus, this is something he was trying to instill time and time again into the disciples. He tried to show them, hey, it's not just about what you know, it has to be what you do. He said to the disciples in that upper room, he said, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. The disciples had a lot of head knowledge by the the three years that they encountered Jesus But what he tried to instill in them time and time again was the principle that in your relationship with God, it's not just about what you know. You know a lot about God, that's awesome. Are you obeying him? You might might know a whole lot of Bible, but if I were to come home with you tonight and see your family dynamic and have dinner with you guys and and see how you treat your siblings and your parents, would, would that same knowledge translate into who you are outside of church. You see, you might know a lot, but the blessing doesn't come in the knowing. The blessing comes in the doing. And it was in the obedience that the blessing was found. Listen, our faith is displayed in our obedience. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's what Jesus said. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And what did they do? They went. And as they went, they were what? They were cleansed, right? They were healed. And this was a big deal, not just because of physically. Remember, now they were going to get to go back to their families, that they got cleansed. They go to the priest. The priest says, yeah, you're good to go. Go home. They would have been then reintroduced into society. They would have gotten their life back. This was a huge deal. So the command was given the words were obeyed and the blessing was given. Now, that's the story. Okay, that, that's what transpires. And, and the story could have ended there. Oh, sweet. A lot of other stories of Jesus' healing ends right there. And then that's kind of it. But God has seen fit to add the extra detail that out of these 10 lepers, there is one who is highlighted. And we're gonna see that within the remaining verses as we see the response of thankfulness. And this is where we get our our takeaway and our application for the day. So let's read verse 15. Story could have ended in verse 
in verse 14, but it goes on. It says, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face and, give, and giving him thanks. And he was a what? What was he? He was a Samaritan. Remember we talked about those? That's significant. It adds this significant line there in verse 16 that he was a Samaritan. I want everyone to look at me. Get this picture in your mind, okay? Jesus says, super simple, go show yourselves to the priests, okay? So there's these 10 guys. They're standing away from Jesus. They hear, they're calling, master, have mercy on us. Jesus says, go. And, they, and so they're there. They're probably looking at each other. And so they turn and they go, right? And as they go, they start heading towards the priest. No doubt they would have headed towards Jerusalem. It wouldn't have been too far. And as they go, they begin to look around. They say, hey, Tom, look at your, look at your hands. Jim, right? Whatever their names were. They probably weren't Tom and Jim. But, but they start looking at each other. And, real, and then they start looking at their hands and, and realizing, oh my gosh, we're really cleansed. And the joy that must have been, the scripture doesn't describe for us, but I'm sure the joy and the excitement, they probably were jumping up, high-fiving, clicking, clicking their heels together, who knows? But now they were gonna be able to get their lives back. And in the midst of this joy and excitement, one stops, dead in his tracks, turns his head, looks back at Jesus and the disciples who are now a little bit far off. He thinks and he turns back and runs towards Jesus. The other nine, we're not told. We're told that we would assume that they would continue on walking towards uh, the priest going. And in their excitement, they were obeying Jesus. But there is one who Jesus highlights and, he, and, and it was someone who, who came back. He turned back in the midst of experiencing the blessing. And I want you to notice the three actions, okay? This, this Samaritan, this man was highlighted for his three actions. He came back and number one, he glorified God with a loud voice. He was not quiet about it. Now this word glorified, uh, this is a word that we use often. This is a word that we sing, right? Uh, God, we, we glorify you. I could think of so many songs, right? We glorify, we glorify. God, we want you to receive all the glory. We want to experience your glory. What does this mean? The fact that he glorified God, was, it simply means that he recognized and acknowledged something that God did. To give God glory is to say, God, you did this, and I'm praising you because of it. That God, you are, you are good. You are awesome. I'm glorifying you. Uh, translation, I'm recognizing you. I'm acknowledging what you have done. Now, we're not to glory, uh, we not, we're not to glorify anyone but God. However, there are times when we acknowledge people in life. Uh, we had a gathering last night and uh, each person kind of brought different food and there was someone who, who brought brisket. And I don't know if you've ever had brisket uh, but that's not something that's cheap, and it's not something that's easy to make. This was homemade, slow-cooked for 12 hours on a smoker, and he brought it, and, uh, and I ate it, and it was delicious. And so uh, I acknowledged. I said, this is some dang good brisket. 
this is, this is delicious, right? And I, and I acknowledge, I, rec- I wasn't glorified, I wasn't like pray, you know, I wasn't like bowing down to his brisket, but I recognize, right? But that's the type of idea that, that when we glorify God, we're saying, God, you are God. I recognize you for, for the fact that I'm here. It's because of you. And for this man specifically, he glorified God. He recognized, God, he said, Jesus, this is you. This is all you. I'm healed because of you. Secondly, notice that that glorifying turned into, he just fell down. And man, I would love to see that picture. Can't you see it? He fell down. I love how descriptive it is. On his face, at his feet. Fell down. On his face, meaning his face was on the ground. And his, Jesus' feet were right there. I love the picture. That the man stood afar off. And now he's right by his feet. That is the very definition of worship. When we see the word worship in the Bible, it often translates to bowing down. Or, or the, the word prostrate. To prostrate yourself is to lay down completely in surrender. You see, this, this outward posture of being at his feet was an act of worship. You can think about how kings would often receive worship from people. Now you and I are to worship no one but one king. His, his name is Jesus. But how knights or the people of the, the right, that, that type of medieval times or even before that would come into the throne room, the presence of the king. And what would they do? They would bow and you better bow because it's a sign of saying you are superior to me. And that's what he was doing. And that's what worship is. Thirdly, he gave him thanks. He gave him thanks. This implies that he didn't just say, thank you, but he said, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. It, it, this, this, this word implies that he did it over and over and over again. And he was a Samaritan. Remember, who, was, who were the Samaritans? They were the outcasts of Israel. They were the misfits. They were the they were half-breed Jews. They were looked down upon. And think about the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? Have you ever thought about that? Now, we think of Samaritan, oh, parable of the Good Samaritan, like such a nice guy. The reason it was so significant is because in that day, the Samaritan, in the eyes of the Jew, would be the least likely to do something like that. Yet it was the Samaritan that did that. Yet it was the Samaritan here. It almost implies, it doesn't say it outright, but it almost implies that the other nine were like full-blown Jews and this one guy was a Samaritan. It doesn't say that, but it seems that it says, and he was a Samaritan. There was something different about him compared to the other nine. And then finally, look at Jesus's response. Okay, so this man comes back. You got that? You got the picture of what he did? Those are the three actions. Now look at Jesus' response. He asks a couple questions. He says, were there not 10 cleansed? He says, were there not, not uh, where are the nine? He says, were there not any found who returned to God to give glory to God except this foreigner, someone not of the commonwealth of Israel? And he said to them, look what he said to them. Don't, don't miss it. Look at the end of verse 19 there. Arise, go your way. Your faith, your faith has made you well. Your faith. So Jesus, and you want to note this down, okay? This is, the, this is the manna from heaven for today. This is what I believe God wants us to understand and walk away with, is that Jesus brings faith into the issue of expressing thankfulness. Meaning that faith and thankfulness go hand in hand. 
that if you live a life of thankfulness to God, it is a result of your faith in God. If you live a life of unthankfulness, of, of living life without gratitude, it's connected to your faith. He says that your faith has made you well, meaning that his faith was different than the faith of the other nine. I want you to note this down. Thankfulness is not an issue of forgetfulness, but it is an issue of faith. Someone who expresses thanksgiving to God is exercising their faith in God. Every time you tell him thank you, you are showing your faith in him. It is an expression of your inward faith. Think about it. It takes faith to thank God. Now, we might be used to it. It might be something that's common. But it takes faith to thank God. And you got to think about this in light of the unbeliever who does not have faith in God, right? We come and it's very normal. And one of the most common times we thank God is at the dinner table, right? We always make sure, God, thank you for this food. Think about that from the perspective of someone who does not believe God exists. Why would you thank God? Why would you thank anyone but the one who provided the food. You're like, God provided the food. Yeah, but in the eyes of the unbeliever, they went to work, they put in the work to earn money to be able to go to the grocery store, buy the groceries to be able to come home. They're the ones that made the meal. Why would I thank God? I should just thank myself. You see, but from the perspective of faith, it's realizing, oh no, no. The reason you were able to go to work because God let you get up that day. The reason that you had breath in your lungs to breathe, to be alive, God allowed it. You have hands, God gave you those hands. The reason you were able to go to a grocery store is because you live in an area that has grocery stores. The reason that you made that, fo that, that food on the stove is because he gave you the gas. He created gas for you to be able to have the stove to be able to cook your food. Do you understand? See, that's the perspective that we have, but it does take faith. And if there is a lack of thankfulness in our life, it is tied to our lack of faith. It's not just because you forget. It's because do we really believe that everything good and everything, everything that maybe we wouldn't consider good, ultimately that God says, I give and I take away. But as Job would say, blessed be the name of the Lord, right? And so Jesus tells us, man, your faith has made you well. Hey, look again, look again at verse 9. Your faith has made you well. Now, did all of the faith of the 10 lepers make them well? Yeah, they all went away cleansed, right? All 10 were cleansed. But yet Jesus says to this one specifically that, that your faith has made you well. It's not just in reference to his physical healing, but a better translation would be that your faith has saved you. That your faith has saved you. This man was healed more than just of leprosy that day, his soul was healed of um, sin and salvation was given. And so as we bring this now to you and I, right? I, I don't think we have any lepers in here. Um, though we see a really awesome picture of, of leprosy as, as sin, right? We have an incurable disease, do we not? It's called sin. And there's only one that heals that sin. 
heals that leprosy. And it's, and it's not just at his word, but it is as we turn, it's as we go and as we display and put our faith in Christ that he says, your faith has made you well. Is it our faith? It's not. It's just simply receiving what the power of God in our life. And I just love the fact that we see that picture of the gospel here, do we not? That once they stood afar off, but now that one leper who was now cleansed, was he couldn't get closer to Jesus. And that's a picture for you and I. That we were once separated from God, enemies of God, the Bible says, with, with, without peace. But then through the blood of Jesus, through our faith in the perfect sacrifice of Christ on the cross, now the Bible says that we get to draw near to God. We get the opportunity to worship him. We don't have to stand afar off. God says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. It's awesome. It's a great picture of the gospel. But how often do we enjoy the blessing and forget to thank the one who blessed us? We see a ratio here, right? It's, it's one to 10. I mean, out of the 10 that were cleansed, only one came back. That's 10%. And I wonder in our own life if that's a decent ratio of how much we should be thankful and how much we actually are. Are we, are we thankful only really 10% of what we should be? Probably. Probably need to repent and ask the Lord to continue creating us that heart. Now, we might not say it outright, but oftentimes our actions can show, right, our, our, our ungratefulness for, uh, to the Lord. Now, think about this for a moment. These nine, were they disobeying Jesus by not coming back? I have a trick question. They weren't, but they were, they were obeying him. They went, but, but it was somewhere in their obeying that it seems that they lost sight of the one to whom they were obeying. All 10 of them should have came back as soon as they saw. They should have all had that response. And I think we see a danger here. Sometimes we can get really good at obeying God and we, we put work before worship. That we, that we, oh, I'm obeying God. I'm doing all the right things. I'm checking all the boxes. And God says it's more than checking the boxes. Think about the story of Martha and Mary. Do you guys know about that story? Martha and Mary, they were sisters. And they have Jesus over to their house. And the story goes that Martha's in the kitchen making all this food, getting dinner ready. And Mary's just sitting at Jesus' feet just listening to Jesus. And so Martha comes out of the kitchen and she, and she says, Jesus, look at my sister. Tell her to get up and help me. And Jesus says, oh, Mary, Mary. And she doesn't, he, she does, he doesn't say, Martha, you're doing the wrong thing. But what Jesus tells Martha is that Mary was doing the better. And sometimes we can think, man, it's just, God just wants us to, yes, he wants us to obey him 100%. But it's more than that. And sometimes in our desire to do the right things, we can miss the right person. In the Old Testament, there was a Thanksgiving offering. And this is what was said about it. And I love this. Uh, so there were certain sacrifices that were required. The Thanksgiving one was of your own free will. It says, and when you offer a sacrifice of Thanksgiving to the Lord, offer it of your own free will. He didn't command the lepers to come back and think, but out of this abundance of gratefulness, this faith in God, this cleansed leper comes back and offers 
this Thanksgiving. See, there's no, there's no uh, uh, altar of fire up here that we have to bring animal sacrifices. That's not what God wants. But he does want spiritual sacrifices for us to come before him and present to him who we are and our thankfulness and our praise. This man stood out to Jesus because of his heart of gratitude, but he also took notice of the ones who didn't. Remember, he said, where are the nine? He says, weren't there 10? And so Jesus not only takes notice of the ones who have and express gratefulness, but he also takes notice of the ones who don't. Warren Wiersbe says this, too often we are content to enjoy the gift. We are so excited, but we forget the giver. We are quick to pray, I need this, but slow to, to turn back, right? Slow to praise, slow to praise. This is our takeaway for the day, all right? As a Christian, Thanksgiving should not just be a day. Oh, there, I was thankful last year at Thanksgiving, no, no, it shouldn't just be a day that we celebrate, but a life that we live. Do you see the difference? Does that mean like, you're like, oh, I'm not, I'm not really a part of Thanksgiving this year because I'm grateful every day. It's like, no, no, no. There, there are good moments to, to, to show God those, those extra pieces and bits of gratitude. But I want you guys to be thinking about that this week. Get in the practice of thanking him. Uh, if you were at Fellowship Feast uh, just a couple weeks ago, you'll remember that, that small passage we looked at of God's will that in everything we ought to give thanks for this is God's will for you. And we talked about how we got to get in the practice of thanksgiving. It doesn't come naturally. Do you guys hear me? How, living a life of thanksgiving is, is the most unnatural thing. Yet I believe by the spirit of God in our lives, we can cultivate this. And like I mentioned a couple weeks ago, you start small. Start small. I love thanking God for the small things. I started doing this when, when I was a kid, and uh, my parents would always laugh. Like, you ever get asked to pray during dinner? And I remember when I was a kid, I was like, oh, okay. Like, and, you know, praying out loud is kind of like weird when you're a kid. And uh, I remember praying, and I would just kind of look around the room and just thank God. Thank, thank you, God, for chairs. And God, thank you for the TV and that forks. Thank you, God, for forks. And, and, and it was just like, it was just, okay, thank you. But I, I think there's a good simplicity in that, that, that if we're thanking God for the small things, won't the big things come naturally? And so practice it. You got a spot here at church? You better praise the Lord. Thank him. Acknowledge, God, we got the spot, not just because that person left, because you provided this. And, and anything, the, the pens in your hand, Right? Thank, thank you, God, that I have a pen. If you trace that pen back, that's from the Lord. Get good, good at that. You pull up to your house after church. Thank God that you have a house to pull up to. You pull those covers over you. Tonight, you're all warm and cozy. You thank God for the, that warm and coziness because there's people that don't. And the fact that you do is not because of what you've done. It's because of how good he is in your life. But it takes practice, all right? Lastly, challenge you today to take time to say thank you to your parents. And before you just roll your eyes and listen, just think for a moment in the last year of your life, how much your parents have provided for you. Do you go to work? Do you, do you provide your food? 
Do you provide your, your, your bedding, your place to live, your air conditioning, your, your cars to get to point A to point B? But sometimes it becomes so normal. I think one of the, the biggest ways we can honor God in our life is to take time to thank the, pe- thank the people that God has intentionally put in our life. I think God gets uh, much pleasure from that. And so like no one else can develop a habit of thanksgiving in your life but you. And it starts with the basic understanding. Listen, if you don't leave with anything today other than everything good is from him and everything in your life God has allowed and you can, that you, because of the sovereignty of God, the control of God, you can even thank God for the difficult things. Not that you thank him like, God, I'm so, I'm so grateful that my car broke down. I'm so thankful that I broke my leg. No, right, right, Luke? You know, you're not, you're not thankful that you, you sprained your leg and those different kind of things, but yet you can't. God, thank you that I have a leg to be sprained. Thank you God, I, that I have a cool little scooty thing now, right? And, and you, can, you can thank God for the, the small things. Every breath you breathe. Every bite you take, every step you walk, every shirt you wear, every ball you throw, every video game you play, every friendship you have, but it takes faith. And so your parents are going to ask you today, what, what is the famous question your parents are going to ask you when you get home or when you get in the car? What did you learn from church? Did you learn from church? I want, listen, I want each and every one of you to tell them we learned about a story where there are 10 lepers. And no, not leopards, lepers. 10 men. And they came to Jesus and Jesus healed them. But there is one that was highlighted and he was one that turned back to glorify God, to fall at his feet and to give him thanks. And I encourage you, talk with your parents, right? What are, what are some, brainstorm with them. How, how can you be like the man who turns back? And turns back and say, God, thank you. It's not about forgetfulness. It's about faith. So how can we begin to put into practice a life of thanksgiving? Well, as we close, we're going to be ending with a special song. Uh, worship team, you guys can actually come out. Uh, we're going to, I want to read to you one last scripture. Hebrews chapter, let's see. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. The Bible says this, therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Have you ever thought about Thanksgiving, not like the holiday, but being thankful as a sacrifice? So it's really interesting. Scripture describes that you and I, that we are a part of a priesthood. Did you know that if you're a believer that the Bible says that you're a priest? Now, kind of weird. You're a priest. Oh, in what, what way? Like, do I like have like one of those cool collar things? Like what, what's going on here? Listen, it's not that you're a, a priest in a position, but that the Bible says that you're a priest because you offer sacrifices. Now it's not sacrifices like they did in the Old Testament where they slaughtered animals and it was pretty gnarly. Rather, our sacrifices in 1 Peter chapter 2 are described as spiritual sacrifices. What we're about to engage in right now as we, as we end with the song of worship is a spiritual sacrifice. Meaning it costs us our breath. It costs us our attention. Now, in light of what God's given to us, it's nothing. But it is a sacrifice. And so as the priesthood would be holy and as they would come to the temple of the Lord and, and offer these as 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 worship, 
same us that we can come to this morning and, and, and give our entire lives to him and, and thankfulness. And, and it's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice of praise as we see in this, in this verse. And so we're going to be ending with a song. Uh, it's a throwback song. I love it. It was awesome last service. Can't wait to sing again. Uh, it's called Blessed Be Your Name. Have you guys ever heard of it before? So the, the origin comes from the book of Job. You know, Job got hit pretty hard. And one of the things that he says in chapter one, he says, God, whether you give or you take away, he says, I'm gonna praise you. I'm, blessed be your name. I mean, no matter all the good or the bad, I know everything I have is, have is from you and, and you're it. So I'm, I'm gonna praise you. And there's a portion that goes along very well with our theme today. And it says, every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, blessed be the name of the Lord. And that's that acknowledgement. Remember we talked about that word glorified? When we, when we sing, blessed be the name of the Lord, we're saying, God, I, I recognize that my life is from you. Anything I have is from you. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bless your name. I'm gonna worship you. I'm gonna praise you. It's all about Jesus, right? That's the name. That's the name that we worship. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and wow. We just want to take this moment, God, and, and first of all, confess our, the sin of unthankfulness, being ungrateful at times. And Lord, we know that it's connected with our lack of faith. And we pray as the disciples did increase our faith. Lord, help us to see what we can't see without you. Would it be your spirit in our life that we would just begin to recognize that the fact that we get to sing, that we can be thankful, the fact that we get to breathe and move and everything is because you are good. And so Lord, you are good. We take this moment to just thank you. Lord, ultimately, we thank you for the cross of Christ. We thank you that though we have sinned and still sin at times, the blood of Jesus has taken the punishment, that Jesus took it on the cross. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for adopting us into the family of God, that we can call you father, that though we were afar off, you have brought us near. And so Lord, we draw near to you now. We bless your name. We glorify you. We acknowledge you. We recognize you. And we turn back to praise. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.